This is the Christian Home and Family Podcast with Carrie Green, episode number two. And I'm going to be talking with my guest, Carl Walker, about some out-of-the-box ideas for family mission trips. Hi, welcome to the Christian Home and Family Podcast with Carrie Green. He's my dad. The Christian Home and Family Podcast brings you biblical teaching, encouragement, Q&A, interviews, and much, much more, all focused on helping you make Christ the center of your home. Thanks for listening. Time to get going with the rest of the show. Here's my dad. Call our dad with your questions or comments. 719-966-7744. Thanks, kids. That's my two youngest, Caleb and Faith. Yeah, you can contact me with those contacts, questions, suggestions, anything that you want, even if you have someone you think would be an excellent guest on this podcast. I would love to hear who that is, and if you could make that introduction, that would be wonderful. On today's show, as you heard at the beginning, uh, we are going to be thinking about some outside-the-box kind of mission trips for your family. And the way we're going to go about that today is with an interview that I did with a friend of mine. His name is Carl Walker. And Carl and his family have come up with a pretty creative thing that they do each year as a family mission project, both to truly extend the love of Christ, but also to teach their children and and themselves uh, what it is to go out and serve people and to walk by the Spirit and to hear the Lord's leading as they do so. Well, today I'm very excited. I'm going to be talking with a friend I've met over the Internet. His name is Carl Walker. And I've actually met Carl in person once as well when I took advantage of a service or a benefit that he's sort of spearheaded for pastors. It's called Engedi Retreat. And we're going to have him give us a little bit of an overview of that in a moment. But first of all, Carl, uh, welcome to the Christian Home and Family Podcast. Thank you very much. Appreciate you having me. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm glad to have this conversation. Carl, before we get into the topic, why don't you give me a bit of your personal background how you came to know Christ, did you grow up in a Christian home, all that sort of thing. Sure. Um, I was uh, <clears throat> born in Denver, Colorado. I was the last of four kids. Um, I was raised in a Christian home. Uh, I didn't come to faith until I was about 18. Uh, it was a very serious decision for me. Um, I'd seen my friends come to faith kind of uh, early in their 10, 12, 13 years old, and um, I still had a lot of questions. And uh, uh, when I was 18, I started doing some studying, uh, mainly with my brother, my older brother, about faith and what it was and who God was, and uh, gave my life to Christ when I was 18. After college in Denver, I went into the Army, and I flew a reconnaissance spy plane in the Army for eight years. And then uh, the last 10 years, I've been flying for a company called NetJets out of uh, Eagle, Colorado, and I'm, I live up in Yampa, way up in the mountains of Colorado. Okay, great. And you're married and have three kids. Why don't you tell me about your family? Yep. Uh, my wife's name is Audrey. Uh, <clears throat> I met her when I was 18, and uh, we've been married for 17 years. We have three kids. Uh, our oldest daughter is 10 years old. She's Jordan. Uh, my son is nine, and his name is Brandon. And my youngest daughter is six, and her name is Karis. Wonderful. Wonderful. Now, I mentioned before that you're involved with an organization called Engedi Retreat. And though what you do there is not the focus of what we're going to talk about today, give my listeners a brief idea what it is that you do with Engedi so they can get a feel for your heart for ministry. 
Um, well, I found an Engedi retreat in uh, 2006 um, after pretty strong prompting from God and uh, a pretty direct prayer to God that was answered uh, pretty miraculously the next day. And we provide a free vacation and retreat home for pastors and missionaries around the world. Um, we literally, we, we operate off of a couple of real basic principles. The first one is we're free. We're absolutely free. You don't have to, uh, nobody has to sponsor you to come. Um, your church doesn't have to pay for you to come. Nothing. We're just absolutely free. Uh, the second one is we're non-denominational. And I, I kid with a lot of people about that because my board of directors is made up of a Baptist, a Methodist, a Church of Christ, a Mennonite, and a, a non-denominational guy and a guy who runs a home church. So we have the full spectrum of uh, leaders on our board here at Engedi. The la last principle, which actually came out of interviewing pastors for a year, uh, I spent 2006 and seven interviewing pastors and missionaries. Uh, our third principle is what we call open use. And what that means is we don't have any programs. Uh, we don't offer anything for pastors to do. We have no counseling. Um, there's nothing. If a pastor wants to come and spend the whole week sermon planning, great, good for him. If they want to come and spend the whole week snowboarding, good for him. Right now, we have a pastor up with his family and their three kids, and their son is in a Little League tournament up in Steamboat Springs. And this was a great place for them to stay and only be 30 minutes away. So we just, we kind of, what I tell pastors is we don't pretend to best know how to use your vacation. That's, that's between you and God. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've I've used the facility there at Ingetti before. Uh, it's a nice little cabin these guys have put together. It's a nice secluded place, and I particularly appreciate that third point because if a pastor does have need of counseling or some kind of intense need of that sort, there are places for that, and, and that's wonderful. But not all pastors really need that. Sometimes uh, it's just a need to rest and decompress and unload. And Engedi's wonderful for that. That's Good. exactly what I experienced when I was there. It was a great two or three days. So why don't you give us the website for Engedi? So if anyone wants to pass that information along to their pastor, they can do that. Yeah, that's EngediRetreat.org. Uh, and Engedi is spelled E-N-G-E-D-I. So EngediRetreat.org. You can also find us super easy on Facebook by just typing in Engedi Retreat. And there's super easy contact information there and easy way to pass it along and share it on Facebook. All right. Great, great. Now, the real reason that I wanted to interview for this podcast is because I discovered in our interaction that you've developed what I consider to be kind of an out-of-the-box kind of practice in your family regarding mission trips or service projects that you do together. So give us a quick snapshot of what it is that you do with your family in that regard. Um, well, we call them excursions. And an excursion is three parts. It consists of one part mission trip, one part vacation, and one part exploration. Uh, right now they happen every year. And currently uh, this last one was a little over two weeks long. Next year's will be three weeks long. And then in about three years, they'll be six weeks long. So the goal of our excursion is to have fun, explore, intentionally expand the kingdom of God, and at the same time develop in ourselves a true outward-focused missional mindset. And that kind of sums up what an, an excursion is in our mind. Okay, and so you and your wife came up with this idea, correct? Yes. Okay, tell me, how did you first come up with this idea? What stimulated this, this thought in your head? Well, um, 
long before uh, Audrey and I ever had kids, we were having a discussion about how to incorporate the faith that we were being taught into a faith that we would live and we will we would example and we realized that you know classroom instruction and bible devotionals and sermons and sunday school you know those are all great things but without putting that into practical exercise all of that instruction really kind of boiled down to head knowledge and without someone exampling that for our children we were uh, we were kind of thinking well how how are they going to translate that into the real world it would be like it would be like telling someone how to play football, you know, and showing them maybe a, a play on a TV screen, but never actually going out there and getting hit once or twice and falling down. And, and you know, that doesn't translate well into a, to a missional kingdom mindset. So we developed this idea and we brainstormed this and said, hey, what if we just took our vacations and turned them into something more? What if, what if they were more than just us trying to relax? And so over a number of 10 years, we developed this idea and when our youngest was uh five years old uh we struck out and we did our first trip wow now now let me ask a clarifying question you said that your intention is to expand the kingdom of god as well as to well have fun well the fun part i understand but you said to expand the kingdom of god and to develop an outward focus in yourselves why don't you elaborate on those two for me for a second well one of the things that uh my wife and i have seen amongst um just our society in general, even amongst our, our Christian, the people in our Christian circles, is this massive intent on developing ourselves and our children um, into something great to make them a productive part of society or, or whatever you want to call it. And we were struck by the intensity of that passion and the lack of of compassion that is coming out of the average 19, 20 year old. And we knew that if we didn't start developing that at a young age, both of our parents, though my wife's parents were not Christian and mine were, both of our parents at a very young age developed in us a mindset of work, of, you know, of sowing and reaping and, and those things carried through. So we knew that if we didn't do that, then we would you know, we would in a sense fail to pass that on to our kids. So we decided to incorporate the work and the education and the church side of things into a lifestyle and really try and live this as a lifestyle instead of just something that happens on Sundays. Okay, so give us an idea of what a typical sort of a trip like this is like. <laughs> well, this is actually a pretty popular question, and, and, and I'm not picking a cop-out, but there is absolutely no typical. Um, other than being one part mission, one part vacation, and one part exploration, we don't shoot for any style or pattern. Um, one of the things that is super, super important for us is that from the time we finish a trip one year until Christmas, we spend that that six months praying and trying to listen to God so that he would show us where to go and what to do. And when those opportunities start falling into place, the only requirement I'm really, um, I guess, kind of uh, adamant about is that any work we do must be able to be accomplished by my youngest daughter. So she's never left out. So next year, any work we do must be able to be accomplished by a seven-year-old. So that, and that plays out differently each year. Now, sometimes, you know, it's, we do physical things like painting, um, you know, we're serving. Other times, 
uh, that transitions into more personal work. And we're hoping that as they get older and, and God matures all of us, that really develops into some more personal interaction. Um, one of the key, I guess, things that's very kind of typical about our trips is that everyone who goes on the trip is required to raise their own mission money. So literally the kids throughout the year have these little wallets we stick on the refrigerator and they work and they work around the community, they work in the house, um, and they put money in that mission wallet. And when we go on the trip, they're allowed to spend half of that money on themselves and they have to spend the other half of that money listening to the Holy Spirit and using it as the Holy Spirit guides them. Now, of course, money's the first thing. It's easy, right? You know, it's it's not hard to grasp money. Now, eventually, we're going to transition that into, okay, now you have a talent. Now you have a gift. You know, how do you, how do you use that for God? And it's a little atypical because we teach most of our kids in church that, you know, you save, you give 10% to God. Um, and most of the time, our kids end up giving well over half of their mission money earned to other people. Hmm. Well, Carl, that is wonderful. Um, I appreciate you making the comparison to the typical 10% mindset that we hear in church because I've been studying the whole issue of tithing recently. And in the New Testament, I, I don't find a 10%. <laughs> no. I find more of an all perspective. Yes. And so I appreciate that you're teaching that to your kids. I actually like to tell my tell my kids when I teach them about giving, I say, you know, we, we tend to focus on the, you know, the the part of the verse that says, give him to your first fruits. But the actual very first part of that verse says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Yeah, well, yeah, that's everything. That's everything. That if we if we take that in first, then it's really easy to understand what he I think what he wants us to do with it. Sure, sure. Okay, tell me what your kids and your wife think about these excursions that you go on. In short, they love it. The kids are constantly asked where we're going to go on our next trip. The experience in and of itself is so dichotomous from a vacation. And and it it's I say that not to be critical of a, a standard family vacation, but it is really a bonding experience to go on this trip. I mean, when, when, a, when a typical family goes on a vacation, everybody has their own idea of what's supposed to happen, right? I mean, mom wants to sit on the beach. Uh, dad wants to go four-wheeling and try out the latest bungee jumping. The younger kids just want to swim, and the teenagers really don't even want to be there. They just spend the whole time texting. But, but on our excursions, the trip is only partly about you, and it becomes more about us and the kingdom. So even just going on the trip allows you to develop a better mindset that works in harmony with the family. I, I was asking my, I ask my kids every year what they like most about it. I'm constantly challenging them. And my oldest daughter, Jordan, said the other day, I just asked her, I said, you know, what, what do you like about the mission trip? What do you think about it? You know, what do you think about these excursion? And she, she kind of thought for a minute and she said, you know, dad, working can be really hard and it can be really fun but I think what's most important is our ability to think and see what other people need because that's a, that affects what we do next. Now, that was a 10-year-old, you know, and I'm thinking, wow, uh, you know, that's powerful to think that she's already developing a mindset of look around and see what's you know, next for me. My son always tells me, I ask him, what do you like most? He says, I like spending money on other people. 
he developed a knack for that on our very first trip and has and his, he generally hardly spends any money on himself. He gets a pocket knife every year from where we go, and the rest of it goes to other people. And, of course, my, my youngest daughter, she's six this year. She says, I ask her, and she says, well, I like the water slides. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so that's okay. She's six. That's, that's a perfectly acceptable answer. But there's, you know, in, in what we see God do on these trips, I have focused throughout the year on... Uh, one of the things I teach when I go to men's retreats and stuff like that is I teach a principle that I call picking up the stones at your feet. And I, I think Americans, Christians in general, we are looking for a mountain to climb. You know, we're looking for a giant chasm to cross for God. And and God is generally saying, why would I give you a mountain to climb when you won't even pick up the stone I put at your feet? So I really emphasize you know, the way to daily living with God is to pick up the stone at your feet. Look around. There's something somewhere you can do to help right now. So for the kids, we express that in the parable of the seed. And we just make sure that throughout the year we talk about that. And they understand that the work that they're doing when we go and the work that they do every day is not so much something they're going to get like an immediate uh, you know, gratification for, but it's something that's going to have to grow later. So the the first year, um, we went up to Montana. We worked with a missionary friend that I support um, with YWAM, and we worked on the Blackfeet Indian Reservation. Uh, during one of those uh, work days, we went over to help with a building that Mission Builders International was building. So Mission Builders International is literally a bunch of missionaries, you know, building this place so that they can send out more missionaries. Um, so we were helping clean up because at that time my daughter was five. So that was the biggest work we could do at the time. So we were helping clean up. And uh, my son, Brandon, and I had loaded a bunch of drywall into this uh, truck. And we got in the truck and uh, we were going to take this gentleman's truck down to the dump and dump off the drywall. So we get in. I start the truck. And my son looks over and he goes, uh, he goes, hey, hey, dad, this, this truck's out of gas. And I, and I look at him and I go, yeah, yeah, son, it is almost out of gas. And he goes, yeah, yeah, we should do something about that. We should put some money in this and we should put some, we should put some gas in his tank. And I said, you want to use your mission money for that? And he said, yeah, yeah. Well, we go and we fill up the gentleman's tank. We bring it back. We drop it off. And I just wrote a little note on, on the steering wheel and it just said, Hey, just so you know, my son Brandon uh, used his mission money to fill up your gas tank. And I kind of explained what, you know, mission money was for. Well, like two hours later, this gentleman comes over to me and he says, Hey, Carl, man, I, I want you to know I really appreciate that. He's like, you know, I'm a, I'm a missionary. I'm used to doing that for other people. You know, people don't generally do that kind of stuff for me. And I look straight at him and I go, man, I don't mean to be rude, but you're thanking the wrong person. I didn't do that for you. My son did that for you. I said, if you want to thank somebody, go thank him. And and he was he kind of stood back like, wow, you weren't kidding when you wrote that. No, your son really did make this money, and he really did. Spend. I'm like, absolutely, he did. You know. And he went and thanked him, and man, the impact on my son is still lasting to this day, two years later. So we got stories. We got a ton of stories like that, but they they just work out where God uses them to help people in real ways and it's it's pretty powerful yeah yeah i just love that and i love the idea of the stones at your feet 
and how it's translating into the way that you're directing your children's hearts. I mean, that, that is essential. Yeah. You know, we've got to always be talking about that stuff with our kids because it doesn't, well, obviously, it doesn't sink in from our culture. No. So no, we parents all. have to make sure yeah. that happens. And not only make sure it happens in our conversation, but also in the way we live and in our walk so that they see that we are generous people and that we are giving people. Wow. Wow. So tell me, why do you think this was an important step for you to take for your family to, to start these excursions? You know, my, my uh, there's a longer story of a, a dinner, a lunch that I had with my, my father when I was a boy. And, and during the lunch, he stopped me and he asked me, he said, you know, Carl, what's going on in this room? And uh, I was like 14 years old. I, you know, I, I was like, what's going on in what room? I'm thinking about, you know, my high school sports and girls and cars and stuff like that. And he said, he stopped and he goes, Carl, what's going on in this room with these people? And, I, and again, I said, I said, Dad, I, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, Carl, every person you walk into and every room you walk into is telling a story. And everyone is carrying their hopes and their dreams and their sadness and their frustration. And if you can't learn to see that in people, then you will never be able to help anyone. And I thought, what? And, and he said, you see that girl in the corner? And I looked and... And I said, well, yeah, I see her. And he goes, can you see her sadness? And I was like, well, I, I guess so. And he said, Carl, you have to learn to see that in people. Now, now for me, that was like, I, I didn't re, I, I kind of realized it at the time, but much more now that I'm older, what a cataclysmic event that was in my life about really having an outward focus and not just constantly thinking about me and sticking my iPod on and wandering around with, you know, music in my ears. But it was important for us to take this step because I wanted to take what my dad taught me in 30 seconds and spend a lifetime teaching that to my kids because it has literally changed the way I view the world. I mean, just, just to be like that. And I think our modern day churches are so good about getting to church, going to church and having it. But the relationship part of that at a, a typical church, I would say, is fairly poor. And there's very little interaction going on. And so for us, it was an important step to say relationships are important. Jesus' relationships with his disciples was his, his greatest thing he was doing. He was walking and talking with them. He, he didn't come as a doctrinal statement. He came as a human being, you know. So for us, that was a really important step. So, yeah, Jesus strikes me as a living doctrinal statement. Yeah. He's not just words on paper. He's fleshing out everything that he taught as exactly. an example. Let me just ask you a clarifying question about what you said there. Now, I don't hear you at all saying that you and your family are perfect at this thing of developing relationship and seeing the need and all that. But I do hear you saying that you guys are intentional about it. Give me some pointers on how a parent can help their kids be intentional about that mindset, short of going on a mission trip or an excursion. I mean, what sorts of pointers would you give? We are, um, 
we we definitely uh, one of my good friends, uh, Paul Gibbs, who runs an international project called the Pays Project. He he works with youth all the time, and one of his mantras that he talks about with the youth is, "We are not trying to get to protect their faith; we are trying to get them to prove their faith." And that mindset for me is critical. Um, like a real life example, my daughter was, uh, my youngest or my oldest daughter when she went into kindergarten was a very advanced reader, which of course made her mom and dad super happy and we were all happy. But what the, the answer, the school's answer to that was, we're going to put her in a higher reading class every day. So I said, that's fine. That's great. You know, and we we're walking to school a couple months after she's been doing this on a daily basis. And I said, I said, Jordan, how do you like school? And she said, oh, I, I love school. And I said, well, how do you like your, your reading class when you go up into the first grade reading class? And she goes, well, it's okay. And I stopped and I said, I said, what do you mean it's okay? And she goes, well, when I go into the first grade class, all the kids look at me funny. And when I go back to my class, my the girl who sits next to me says, where have you been? <laughs> and I... I kneeled down and, you know, I, I could have taken that opportunity to go in and tell the teachers, hey, tell these quit kids to quit picking on my daughter, you know, but I kneeled down and I said, Jordan, that's the way life is. I said, you go in and you read and read and help those other kids read and you smile and you do the best you can and, and don't ever look down and don't ever worry about those other kids. You just do the best you can. And. What that turned out to be was that by the end of the year, Carrie, she was helping the first graders learn to read. She was in the class teaching kids how to read because she realized, oh, this isn't just about my reading. I can actually help people here. So off the cuff, I would say it is a moment by moment thing where you have to be with your kids in that moment. And when they have that problem and they come up to you with, you know, gosh, one of my friends just did this to me or my teacher just did this to me, you can dismiss it. You can say, hey, you know, uh, you know, you can go talk to the teacher. You can go talk to their friends, whatever it entails. Or you can stop for a second and think, how can I teach them to expand the kingdom right now in their own hearts? And I'm and you're right. I'm not perfect at that. <laughs> uh, I have messed that up way more than I have gotten it right. Um, but through God's grace, he has, uh, I, I truly believe that God allows us to forget some of the bad lessons our parents give us. <laughs> and so through his grace, he helps my children focus on the positive things that I give them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I just love that. And I want to commend you for that because I think you're right. Our, our kids remember less of our goof-ups and less of our mistakes when we are consistent in our direction. Yeah. I and agree. I hear that in everything you're saying. Just be consistent in looking for those opportunities and even making those opportunities like your dad did in the restaurant. Mm -hmm. Opening yep. up the conversation intentionally. I love that. So let's go back to the excursion for a moment. What okay. obstacles did you have to overcome in order to start doing these trips? You know, I, I, I talked to Audrey about this, and, and one of the things that uh, is first and foremost in our mind that's been an obstacle is most mission work from churches looks something like this. A, a group of young people get together led by generally a youth pastor who's just as young sometimes. They go for five to ten days. They work their brains out, God bless them, and then they go home. 
and they have a very set schedule and they have a very set work pattern, um, you know, and they go and do that. So it's very canned in, in a sense. It's a very canned scenario. When we go, um, we are there to actually learn about the people we are with. And so one of the obstacles has been when we go some where I have to really spend some time getting to know the person who's going to help us do the work and really help them understand that this is not about us coming to paint a building. This is about us coming to, to learn about you and for you to learn about us and for the, for all of us to expand the kingdom of God in that couple of weeks. Cause we're there for quite a bit of time. We're not just there for five or 10 days. When these things are said and done, we're going to be there for six weeks. And you know, that that requires a whole different mindset. So that's an obstacle. Um, some of the people look at me funny. Uh, that's it's not a big obstacle, but people say, "Well, oh, you're going on a mission mission trip." I said, "Well, kind of. We're going on an excursion." And they say, "Oh, what church are you going with?" I said, "Well, we're not going with a church." Oh, well, what mission organization are you going with? Well, I'm not going with a mission organization. They kind of look at you funny, and and they go, "Who are you going with?" And I'm like, "Well, just me and my wife and my kids," you know. It's a great opportunity. We use that as an opportunity to talk about what we're doing, but there's definitely some hesitation there when people look at you like, well, what gives you the right to go on a mission trip? You're not a church. You know, so, um, one, and one of the things my Audrey said, she said, you know, the biggest thing was just doing it, putting, putting rubber to the road and, and making it happen. Because before we did this first one, we had thought about it. We had planned it. We did all this work. We get in the car. We're getting ready to drive to Montana. And my wife and I look at each other. And literally, you could you could see the look on our faces like, are we out of our minds? What are we doing? You know, is this is this going to work? This could be a catastrophic failure of, you know, unbelievable proportions. But I tell you what, when we got back from that trip, we were so excited about doing the next one. It was so amazing, and, and the next one we did was so exciting. This last one we did was was so – impacted us so much that we literally sat down and we did a seven-year plan. And we said, we're going to plan these. These are going to be great. We're going to let God guide us. And, and now – so that's the obstacle. The obstacle is you got to get out there and do it once. But once you do it, man, it's like a domino effect. You just love it. And isn't that the nature of faith? You, you know, <laughs> faith without works is dead. Yes. And that seems to be our obstacle with a lot of things in life is for whatever reason, we have fears or hesitations or self-doubt or whatever. And it just shows me that you guys had a really deep conviction about this, that this was important for your family and you had to get this yeah, moving. Definitely. Wow. And we had to, we had to, you know, one of the things I love about mission trips that um, churches do is that they're very focused for a very short period of time. One of the things I don't like about them is that once you come home, you're done. You're done. Nobody talks about you. You, know, you give a presentation to the church, um, but that's kind of about it. Um, one, so one of the things we've tried to do is when you come home, that's that's just the beginning. The trip was just the beginning. The rest of the year is spent talking about it and digesting it and reminding the kids of what they did and the people they met and and stuff like that. And now they use those examples in in home group in devotionals, churches, and all kinds of stuff. Okay, briefly, I mean, if there was a parent who was listening to this, or even a pastor or a youth pastor who's listening and thinking, wow, this gives me a different idea about a mission trip. This kind of thing sounds really cool. 
give me your top five tips for someone who may be considering something of this nature. What would be the five most important things you'd say they need to think about or consider or pray through? The first one um, that's super important um, that we've identified with a lot of our friends who are interested in this is the first one is, is this has to be part of your lifestyle. Um, and if your lifestyle revolves around taking your kids to baseball camp and their school and their piano lessons, then being missional like this is going to require some changes. Uh, expanding the kingdom of God in your children's hearts is something you do every day. And if you only take time to do this once a year, hey, that's great, um, but it, that might not be, it might be tough to incorporate something like this. Our, our, we have a motto each year for our trips, um, and we actually make a full-on t-shirt that we carry with us, and every, we pass them out in the whole nine yards. And the motto for our first trip was taking what we do at home on the road. And the, and the whole purpose of me coming up with that motto was to tell my children, we, this is not something we do exclusively while we are traveling. This is what we do every day. Uh, the second one is commit. You got to commit to doing this. You have to put a ton of time into planning and executing it. This is not your typical vacation. Um, when you come home from this, you'll feel wonderful, but you will be completely exhausted. Um, the third one is flexibility. Uh, we have seen, you know, this year we went to Nisland, South Dakota, and we were going to go up there and help paint a, a person's house. Uh, two days before we arrived, the church that we were going to help with, one of their longtime members passed away. Um, the whole plan to paint was scrapped. We spent, we spent the whole week helping prep for the funeral, and then on the day of the funeral, uh, my wife and my girls helped cook and clean. My son and I parked cars. Um, it, you know, you have to be really flexible, especially in planning. Cause if you think your first trip doing this is going to be to the Bahamas, um, well, that's, that's great for you, but God may lead you to, you know, my not North Dakota. Um, so you got to be pretty flexible. The fourth one is don't try and conquer the world. Um, really spend some time with yourself because you, you don't even have to teach your kids this. I mean, it's good if you do, but really spend some time with yourself understanding the parable of the mustard seed. Um, you are not out here to change a community, change a church, you know, start a revolution. You are here to plant small seeds that God can use. Um, so we take great care in balancing our trips to the ages of our kids. So for instance, my youngest girl simply cannot work for four days in a row without doing some serious complaining, right? So so right now, that's okay. We break that up. We do a day of work. We do a day of exploring. We do a day in the swimming pool. And then we go back to work for a day. So we don't try and conquer the world when we're there. We just try and do what we can. Um, and I think the fifth one is involve your kids. Involve your kids and make it fun. Um, we announce where we're going at Christmas. And then we spend the next six months together studying about where we're going to go, writing letters to the people that we're going to serve. Uh, the kids plan the route. Uh, they help with driving times and what, what we're going to bring and how much the trip is going to cost. They're involved in every aspect of it as far as they are able. Um, and we really try and have a lot of fun while doing this because if, if it's not fun and challenging, well then, you know, who wants to, do, who wants to do it twice? <laughs> right. So those would be my, my top five things. But I would guess that as, if 
anybody just does this, uh, you know, their top five things and their challenges are going to look completely different than, of course, what I've come up with. Sure, sure. Now, let me ask you a couple more questions. First of all, I know there are many ways people could go about this, but how do you guys go about determining where it is you're going to go? Uh, that's almost as difficult as trying to teach somebody how to listen to the Holy Spirit. Uh, when somebody asks me, Carl, how do you listen to the Holy Spirit? Uh, I say, man, <laughs> if I could give you this in, in two sentences, I would, but this is going to take two weeks for me to tell you how I listen to the Holy Spirit. And the process of this is a lot of time, but a lot of time is just contemplating this. So when you see something on, say, TV, God may strike a chord in your heart and say, hey, there's a place you could go. And then you might say, oh, okay, well, well now you got to think and plan and be open and listen. Let me give you an example of how this worked. The last year when we did this, I was trying to get a um, a place to go by Christmas, and nothing was coming to mind, nothing at all. I was really frustrated about it. I was driving home from work, and over the top of one of the passes that I go over, I get cell phone reception literally for like 10 seconds. And I had been thinking about this the whole time, about where I was going to go, and it wasn't time to do it. It was like December 20th at this point. I come up over that pass, and my phone rings. And I'm like, well, I don't have time to answer it because I'm just going to lose service in 10 seconds. So I just hit ignore the call. It quit. I, I started going on down the pass, and I didn't even look at my phone. I just, it just kept on going, and I, I just kept praying. I just kept saying, you know, God, I don't know where to go. And I really felt this strong burden from the Holy Spirit say, I just answered you. And, and I thought, what? What do you mean you just answered me? I said, I, I don't there was nothing. What do you mean? And he said, I just called you and answered you. And I looked at my phone and I thought, oh my goodness, who called me? And I looked at my phone and the the person that called me, my phone came up as unknown. And I read that and God was like, I haven't told you yet and that's okay. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow. You know, so much for Carl's great plan, right? And But then two months later, I start thinking about it and I realize there's a pastor that I had a connection with and God, it was just a comfort to me. God was like, yes, that's where I want you to go. You know, so it's, you can choose a place. If it comes down to the, to the end and you don't have a place, pick a place and go, but really try and spend some time with God and say, where do you want me to go? God, where are you going to teach me the most? Because quite honestly, Carrie, our desires get in the way. When you say, I want to go part ex excursion, part vacation, part mission trip, and God says, well, I want you to go to uh, lower Texas in the middle of August. All of a sudden, the vacation part of that doesn't sound like much fun, right? Yeah, <laughs> I grew up in Texas. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So you're like, oh, that doesn't sound like vacation. But if you're flexible enough, you know, God can provide all of that. And he has for us. We've gone to some tiny little towns and places that, you know, people probably wouldn't think about spending much time. And we've seen we've seen some pretty incredible stuff that I would definitely consider vacation like. Sure. Well, well, that leads to my other question, and I know it's going to be a difficult one to answer given how you just answered that one. But you mentioned earlier in our conversation that you try to teach your kids to listen to the Holy Spirit when it comes to do with what they do with their funds. Yes. I'm curious. What are the practical things that you say to your kids to help them know what you mean when you say listen to the Holy Spirit? 
Yeah, this is uh, this is an ongoing conversation with them that takes place throughout the year. So in our family devotional just a couple weeks ago, I got kind of bold and I said, okay, guys, I said, you know, daddy talks about listening to God. And I said, I want to know if you guys have ever heard God. And uh, my, my daughter chimed in immediately and she said, I, I heard God. And I said, when? And she goes, God spoke to me two weeks ago. And she told me this incredible story of, of a day she was having and a song she heard and the words of the song. She's sung the song a thousand times, memorized it, but it finally hit her heart hard. And so what I did with that was I just said, okay, remember what that was. Remember that feeling you had. Remember that, uh, however it was that he spoke to you. It, and it, I'm not going to lie to Carrie, it is very difficult because I believe everybody's experience with listening to the Holy Spirit is very different. So what I try and do for them is I guess maybe like what a counselor would do in counseling. I'm no counselor, that's for sure. I'm a pilot. We're pretty bad counselors. Um, but I, I ask a lot of questions. So last year when we were, um, or sorry, this summer, when we were up parking the cars for the funeral, one of the cars pulled in and I was, the lady got out and she walked into the front and me and my son were standing there and my, my youngest daughter, Karis, had just walked up. And I looked down at this lady's car and her back left tire was just as flat as it could be. And I said, uh, I said, hey, Brandon, that tire's flat. And he said, yeah, it is. And I said, uh, I said, what do you think we should do about that? And he said, well, we got a pump in the car. Let's go pump it up. I said, okay, good. And then I looked at my daughter and, you know, this was an opportunity for her. She's six now, you know, so this is a big step for her. So it doesn't bother me to help lead her into this. And I simply said, Karis, what else can we do about that? And she said, well, if we fix it. And I said, well, we can't fix it. There's no car shops around here. We're on the, we're on the way out in the middle of South Dakota. I said, there's no car shops around here. I said, but what would it take to fix it? She said, it would take money. I said, well, do you have money? She goes, yeah, I have mission money. And then she just, boom, she was gone, off to the car. Brought back mission money, stuck it on the girl's, stuck it on the girl's steering wheel, and we wrote a little note for her. Karis, you know, gave you some mission money to fix your car. Um, but it is, it's a lot of questions. It's a lot of me saying, well, what do you think God's telling you about that? I really try hard not to tell my kids um, what the Bible says or what God is saying, if I think they can discover it for themselves. I don't want to, I don't want to short, short circuit that process when God is, you know, God is, what I don't want to end up happening is this. I get to heaven and God goes, yeah, all those times I was actually trying to teach your child something. And if you'd have just been quiet for five minutes, I would have succeeded. You know, so for me, it's a lot of questions and really listening to them. And, you know, I ask my wife a lot, you know, a woman's intuition is not to be discounted. And uh, I asked her, what do you think the kids were thinking at that point? And she offers up amazing, amazing insight. And those conversations like you're describing are an integral part of that. Yeah, and that's what my, you know, honestly, that's what my dad did with me when I was sitting at the, the, the lunch table. He led me into something which literally started, you know, a lifetime of thinking like that. It's such a delicate balance because I know as a pastor, you've seen parents try and hammer that home with, you know, brick and mortar, and you can't do that. You can't put them in a box, and, and you there's this incredible balance in life of, okay, I'm going to teach you what's right, and I'm going to show you what's right, 
and then I'm gonna let you do <laughs> what it, what do you, whatever you do. It might be right and it might be wrong, but I have to let you do it now. You know, can't control it forever. That's for sure. Yes, yes, that's right. There is a fine balance, and I find myself constantly praying, according to the Book of James, for wisdom mm-hmm. because I lack yes. it. I lack it when it comes yes. to parenting. Yes. Well, Carl, this has been a wonderful conversation. I feel like we've just gotten a peek through the keyhole into these excursions that you take your family on and the process that goes on behind the scenes. Uh, if there are any parents who have further questions about what you're doing and how you do it, how could they contact you? Well, they can contact me. They can just call me. My number's on the, the Facebook website. My number's on the um, uh, Engedi website. Okay. Give us that site again. It, it's EngediRetreat.org, and that's spelled E-N-G-E-D-I retreat.org. Um, they can connect with me on Facebook um, through through Engedi Retreat. They can find me pretty easily there. The I actually put together an album, a Facebook album of every excursion we go on, and they're open to the open to the public. So you can literally go onto Facebook. You can start with, you know, this year's excursion. It says Walker Excursion 2012 South Dakota, and you can click through those. And we have, you know, little descriptions of what we do. Um, so yeah, I mean, they can they can contact me. I will say this: I can be a good guide, but um, and I'll give them all the help I can. But I won't give you a three-step program for making this happen. This <laughs> you're gonna have to fight and struggle with this and find the joy in it yourself doing this. Uh, for sure. Well, I definitely appreciate that. And let me just say that all those websites that Carl gave will be in the show notes for this particular episode. So you can find those at www.christianhomeandfamily.com forward slash two. Carl, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, you're so welcome. And thank you for your sensitivity to, first of all, being intentional about raising your own children to have a heart for the world. But secondly, in listening to the Holy Spirit to do this, because I think it's a great example in so many ways. And you know, maybe we can have you on again in the future to talk about the outcome of your next excursion. That would be great. That would be great. We, he hasn't revealed to us where we're going yet, but uh, we're we're excited for next year. We've got three weeks already scheduled out, and we've got a departure date planned, so we're excited to go. Okay, wonderful. All of us listening, we can join Carl in praying for them that the Lord would reveal to them exactly the right place at the right time. That would be great. Well, Carl, thank you again, and give your wife my encouragement and prayers and and my love and all that in the Lord. I just love what you're doing. Thanks, Gary. God bless. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Carl Walker as much as I enjoyed having the conversation. It was a wonderful time. Carl is a great brother in the Lord, and I just love his heart. Uh, for his children and for uh, actually showing the love of Christ to those outside of their family. As we wrap up the show, let me just remind you, it would help us out a ton here at ChristianHomeAndFamily.com if you would go to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast, leave feedback, rate the podcast. All of those things help us to rank higher in the iTunes search engine. And also, uh, if you would engage at the blog with comments on the various blog posts and uh, interaction there, we have a prayer board where you can leave prayer requests and those will get prayed for. And you even will be notified if someone prays for your request. So I encourage you to go and check out the community there at ChristianHomeAndFamily.com. You can contact me at ChristianHomeAndFamily.com forward slash contact. There's all kinds of options there on Facebook and on Twitter and various other ways. 
I also wanted to let you know the notes, the show notes for this particular episode will be on the website at www.christianhomeandfamily.com forward slash two. And I'll have links there to everything that Carl and I mentioned that uh, pertains to a link on the internet somewhere, as well as any other resources that go along with this episode. For all of us here at christianhomeandfamily.com, I want to thank you for listening. And my hope and prayer for you is that Christ may ever more be the center of your home. God bless you. O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.